Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Literally in the Greek, it means looking away from, looking to Jesus. We look away from the things of this world that so easily entangle us. We look away from the temptations that this world seems to offer us. We look away from all the worldly pressures that seem to try to squeeze us into its mold. But we must have our eyes riveted and fixed upon the finish line where the Lord Jesus Christ is standing. And we must be focused on Him. And we must look to Him. There is strength and grace that comes to us in our time of need. And we are made strong in the Lord when we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. And the great physician, who happens to be also the world's greatest pathologist, and the greatest spiritual cardiologist, and the greatest spiritual optometrist, is helping us and his disciples here to diagnose whether we have this debilitating disease. And he offers for us four tests or four questions to search our hearts in order to whether to validate or invalidate the diagnosis of spiritual myopia. He wants us to evaluate four areas of faithfulness because we see that word four times in these four verses. Twice in verse 10, verse 11, and verse 12. But we need to ask ourselves these questions. Are you faithful in the details? Are you faithful in the present? Are you faithful as a steward? And are you faithful as a servant? So first of all, we see the faithfulness in the details in verse 10 when it says there, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. This is an axiomatic statement. This is a self-evident truth. You don't have to prove it. Because it's an obvious truth that a man or woman's conduct in the little things is a sure test to what they will do with the big things. And the underlying principle behind all of this is that all of a person's activities matter because they reveal the true nature of one's character. And for you little ones that are here this morning... This is why mom and dad make such a big deal about the small things. Because if they can't trust you to put your clothes away in your dresser, or to pick up your room, or to put your toys away, it makes mom and dad, it's hard for them to trust you in the bigger things when they come. And so the more faithful and the more diligent you are in doing those sorts of little things, it makes it a whole lot easier for mom and dad to say yes to the bigger things when you want to do them and when they come. I remember as a young boy, <clears throat> when I was about eight or nine years old, going to Big Bear in, uh, with my grandmother in Grandview, Ohio. And one of my favorite things to do was to take her six-pack of old Coke bottles and carry them and put them on the conveyor belt at the front of the store so they could be recycled, because that in turn meant that we were going to get some fresh bottles of Coke that day. But she let me wander into the store a bit one time, and I found a tube of chapstick, and I picked it up, and I threw it in my pocket and left the store without even paying for it. And when she, we met up back up in the car, 
I immediately whipped out my brand new tube of chapstick, and she immediately noticed, and she looked at me, and she says, where did you get that from? And I told her, well, I took it from the store. And so she whipped that car back around, and she marched me into the store and took me right before the manager, made me apologize, and made me pay for that chapstick right then and there. And it didn't even amount to to even maybe 50 cents or something like that, because it was probably one of the cheapest things in the store. But it didn't matter what the amount was to her. What mattered to her was my integrity and my character. Because from that point on, I wasn't allowed to wander the store by myself or even go to the park across the street. I had to stay beside her because I wasn't faithful and trustworthy in the little things anymore. But in the context of Luke chapter 16 and verse 10, the issue that Jesus is wanting to address with us is faithfulness with money. Or as he says in the verse before it, in verse 9, the wealth of unrighteousness, and the verse after it in verse 11, unrighteous wealth. And so the issue that Jesus is clearly wanting to bring to our minds' attention is one's faithfulness in the details of money. And many people would say, you know what? If I had more to give, I would give more. But the truth of the matter is, you would not. Circumstances is not the issue, but your character is. Jesus is going to illustrate that later on for us in Luke chapter 21, 1 through 4, when he tells the story of the widow's might. And he says, And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I say to you that this widow put in more than all of them. For they, all out of their surplus, put into the offering, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. The amount that she gave in comparison to the others wasn't the issue. The issue is what she gave in comparison to what she had of her own to give. She sacrificially gave with a heart that is right before God. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning, that probably makes a lot of us squirm in our seats a little bit and a little bit uncomfortable, is this. Who am I today? Not who would I be if I had more, but who am I today? Does my use of my money, does my attitude towards money and wealth and resources, do they conform to eternal interests? Does what I say I believe about the gospel and the importance of eternal life and the kingdom of God and living for His glory, does that square up with the way that I look at my wealth and the way that I look at my money and my resources? Or does my use of my wealth And my attitude towards it suggests that my eyes are not on the eternal prize. That I'm not really thinking about eternal things. And the advancement of the gospel, and I'm not thinking about the interests of eternal life. J.C. Ryle said of this text, He, that is Jesus, guards us against supposing that such conduct about money as that of the unjust steward ever ought to be considered as a light and trifling thing among Christians. He would have us to know that little things are the best test of character and that unfaithfulness about little things is a symptom of a bad state of heart.
when it comes to the faithfulness and the details of your money. Who are you today? Are you faithful in the details of life, especially with your money? The second question we need to ask is in verse 11. Are we faithful in the present? Are you faithful in the present? Verse 11 says, Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? So it begins with therefore, or conclusion. And whenever you see therefore in the Bible, you have to ask, what is it therefore? Meaning, based on all that's been said up to this point, what are the consequences or the ramifications of what's been said? Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And so what this is saying is that your faithfulness with your money in the here and the now during your earthly life is a litmus test or a spiritual indicator of your true self, and it has ramifications for your future. You might say, well, that sounds like works, or I'm trying to buy my way into heaven. And no, that's not it at all. And so I want to be clear here. We maintain that a man is justified by faith alone. But listen, you are not justified by a faith that is alone. This is that Romans 3 and James 2 tension that people always seem to wrestle with. In other words, you should never have a dead orthodoxy. You should never have a dormant faith. And this is what James is getting at in James 1.22. He says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he is. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this will, man will be blessed in what he does. In other words, your justification should produce sanctification. Your salvation should produce a new life. The root of the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ should produce the fruits of righteousness. Or to put it within the context of verse 11, you should never say to the Lord, I give my life to the Lord. I give you my all. But please, please don't touch my bank account. Because then you've simply proven that you haven't truly given yourself to the Lord. And Jesus says to us in verse 11, If you haven't been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, if you've wasted your money on corrupt and temporary things and all the junk and all the trinkets that will burn up in the presence of the Lord, do you expect Him to give you the true riches, literally the true things, the eternal reward that comes to those who have been faithful. One Puritan put it this way, is that our problem is that we love the world and we use the Lord. And so does the use of your money and your wealth say to those who would look at you, 
that person really cares about eternal things? Or does it say that he lives for today and this life only? If someone were to examine your books and your bank account and the flow of your money, would they find that any of it flows towards the things that are eternal or more towards the temporary things of this life? Now you might be sitting there saying, how much do I have to give? What's the amount or what's the percentage that I have to uh, part with in order to secure my eternal reward? And let me just tell you that there are plenty, church, plenty of churches out there that are going to try to manipulate you and tell you that you need to give 10% of your income and you're going to be okay. That's not what the Bible teaches. The New Testament is clear that there is a better principle to be applied in your giving. And this is where 2 Corinthians 9 comes in. Flip over there for a second because I want you to see this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and we're looking at verses 6 through 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. It says this. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse 7, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, that you may have an abundance for every good deed. Now, <coughs> excuse me, we all remember verse 7. We, when we think about giving and that God loves a cheerful giver, we all say yes and amen. And we think to ourselves, I hope that's me. I hope that I have a cheerful heart when I, get, when I give. But we don't remember verse 8. And the basic principle that is laid out in that verse without making this, this text a sermon on its own is this. How do you see God? What do you feel when you look at His face? Do you see Him as someone who is able to make all grace abound to you? Do you see Him as someone who will be sufficient for you in everything? Do you see Him as your Heavenly Father that will provide an abundance for you for every good deed? You see, God wants you to give bountifully, and not sparingly. God wants you to give cheerfully and not begrudgingly. But the looming question is this. Do you see God as He is in verse 8? Because when you see Him as He is in verse 8, it's a whole lot easier to give as you should that is listed in verses 6 and 7. Do you see Him as your Father? Do you see Him as your Giver? Do you see Him as this, this fountain that is overflowing with replenishing grace and hope who will always be there for you to provide for you in abundance? Do you take Him at His word and trust Him completely even if you were to give bountifully? You see, the size of your donation and the size of your check and the percentage of your income is, 
that you give to eternal things is never the issue. The issue is how much room does God occupy within your heart? That's what that's about. Do you trust the God that is in verse 8 so that you can fill, fulfill verses 6 and 7? Are you faithful in the details? Are you faithful in the present? And the third question we must ask back in Luke 16, are you faithful as a steward? Are you faithful as a steward? We see that in verse 12. And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another, and so here Jesus is bringing up the issue of faithfulness again. If you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another, who will give you that which is your own? We've gone from faithfulness in the little things to faithfulness in the presence as a means of validating that future reward to faithfulness in the use of money that isn't even yours. We're like the manager in the parable. We're looking after everything that has been provided by our master. Basic, fundamental Christianity is understanding that we are all stewards. Or to put it another way, fundamental to healthy Christian living is understanding that all that you are and all that we have come and belongs to the Lord. He, he's the one that gives us life and breath and all things, as Acts 17.25 says. And Psalm 104.24 says, O oh Lord, how many are your works and wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. Everything that you have is that which is another's. It belongs to somebody else. And what Jesus is saying here is that if you have not rightly apprehended and mastered money, understanding that you are simply a steward and a manager, then you are not ready to receive a truly valuable inheritance. All of our choices, all of our desires, all of our priorities ought to reflect a kingdom agenda in which we have set our eternal values, our kingdom values, our gospel values over and above the desires of this temporary life. To say it in another way, every true disciple recognizes that everything that he or she has is a gift from God. And it should be used with a view to the glory of God and for the good of others. Are you faithful in the details? Are you faithful in the present? Are you faithful as a steward? And then lastly, are you faithful as a servant? Are you faithful as a servant? Verse 13 says, No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Again, Jesus gives us an axiomatic statement here. This is so obvious that you cannot wiggle around it. The object of your devotion will either be God or money. It can't be both. In other words, divided loyalties in your life is prohibited. As Calvin said, where the riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost all of his authority. 
Or to say it another way, Jesus is saying here that your attitude towards the use of your wealth, resources, and money actually shows what and who you worship. And so what this boils down to is that you've got to make a choice. Either you're going to serve God, and that means you're going to take your wealth and invest it in that which honors God. You're going to consider things eternal when you evaluate your money. You're going to use it for the advancement of the gospel, for the glory of God. Or you're going to serve money. And that means you're going to take it and use it for whatever you want in this life. Spending it solely on your pleasures, only focusing on the temporal and for your own earthly life. But you can't do both. You have to decide. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your money will naturally flow to where your heart already is. And so the test here this, for this is obviously the meditations of your heart, the consuming thoughts of your mind. Do you find your mind worrying about money and consumed with making money and keeping money and saving money? Or are they drawn to your Lord and Savior? Does eternity loom on the horizon of your mind so much so that you live so completely, radically, and differently than the rest of the world? When you evaluate your heart this morning, what occupies it the most? Is it God? Or is it money and the things of this world? Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6 exhorts us. It says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have, For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Are you faithful in the details? Are you faithful in the present? Are you faithful as a steward? And are you faithful as a servant? What consumes your thoughts? Where is your true treasure? Who is your true master? Have you forgotten 2 Corinthians 9.8 that says that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Are you suffering from spiritual myopathy? And you've only had on your vision focused on what is temporal and what is seen. If that be so, then the only right cure for this disease is for you to respond to the Lord in repentance and faith and look to Him as your greatest satisfying treasure. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Sometimes, Lord, we hear things and they sting us. 
they cause us to evaluate who we are and where we're at and what our hearts have been set upon. Lord, we want to have you as our greatest treasure. We want to have our minds fixed on things above. We want to have our eyes fixed and focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, if there be any person here today that has been anxious about their possessions and their wealth, anyone who's been focused on the things of this world, who have not trusted you completely, Lord, we just pray that today they would transform, that they would be conformed to your word, and that they would look to advance your kingdom, to proclaim your gospel, that they would live out, that they truly see you as their everlasting treasure. Father, we thank you for your word. It's in the name of your, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.